It's good to be in his house. I love being here. I love this place. And I love you people. Man, I know it sounds funny, but I couldn't imagine a pastor without that doesn't love his people. (laughs) That's a tough thing. But you know, I can honestly say, I say this with everything in me that my love actually that's growing towards this congregation and towards this valley, just towards people even in general, is from the Lord. I've been noticing it. I'm actually looking at myself and noticing within me a love that's growing. And it's God. It's only Him and it can only be Him. And you can ask Him for that. I've been asking Him, Lord, give me love. Give me compassion. Give me your eyes. Give me your ears. I want to see people like you do. I want to hear like you heard. You heard the Father, Lord, as you were walking on the earth and you looked at people differently than we do. Give me that heart so I can understand who this person is in front of me that you have me dealing with right now so I can then give them what they need, not what I think they need or what I think they need to hear. And a lot of times we're looking, we look at people, right, through our own perception and we also look at how Another believer is dealing with another believer and we can judge. And we just don't understand sometimes the hidden deep things that God is doing in that situation. And I, but I just love that. I love that God is so gracious and so merciful to us that when you pray and you ask him, Lord, I want more love, you think that's something that you have to produce, right? God's done so much, you know, We can do our part. Let's do our part. But you can literally pray and ask him to help you do something. You do your part, that is. We need him to help us do everything, I mean. But even the things that we are doing out of us, he can amplify that. Like a husband and wife, you know, there's a 50% of, hopefully, 50% or 100%, right? But 50-50 creating this 100% love, right? She's doing her part and I'm doing my part in this relationship. God says, I'll do my part and I'll help you do your part. I'll help you love me. What an odd thing. But he does it. You pray that and all of a sudden this love for him starts to grow and love for people starts to grow. In fact, you just pray for love for him. You don't even have to pray for love for people. It's just going to come out of you naturally. Anyway, that was a bonus Hey, man, I, I like getting up here happy. It would be tough if I wasn't. Something about just when the, that clock starts ticking down and it's time to come up here. It's just the Lord. It's the Spirit of God. And that's actually what I want to talk about today. I want to talk to you about something the Lord spoke to me recently, and it was um, awesome. <laughs> One of the most awesome things I ever heard him say to me. And I want you to look in your Bible. We're going to look at the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verse 40. Actually, before verse 40, I want to look at one other thing first. It's still 1 Samuel, chapter 17, but I want you to look at verse 1. Let's look at this first. It says, that the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between a couple of towns. And in verse 2, Saul countered 
by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. And I read that his javelin, I don't uh, know the, how they did the math, but it was 25 feet long. This guy was a big dude, and he had big weapons. And it says that the shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor-bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. And Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. Verse 10, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. And it says in verse 16 that for 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. Now that means for 40 days, because what did he say? He said, choose a man to come down here and fight me, and we'll end this thing. Whoever wins, that's it. Battle over. One man against one man. So 40 days means that nobody, including Saul, who was God's anoint, who was, was, past tense, God had anointed him and placed him as king. Nobody was willing to go and fight Goliath for 40 days. Every day he came down and said, when he said, I defy Israel, he was saying that I'm greater than your God. I defy you. And I defy the God that you think is going to give you power, that you think you can rely on. The Philistines knew well. They knew about the Israelites, and they knew about the God that had delivered them from Egypt. They were well aware of this story. And he came down and said, I defy you. Now, it says in verse 40, and we love this part of the story, don't we? Verse 40, David is on the scene. It says he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. Verse 48, as Goliath moved closer to attack, 
David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. And that's key. God put him where he belonged, face down. One way or another, you will worship the Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And if you will not do it on this side, there are those that have gone to greatness in this world. There are those that have lived the life and have done whatever they wanted and said, I haven't seen God try to stop me yet. And it looks like they've gotten away with it. But one way or another, whether it's in life or in death, you will bow your knee. You will end up on your face before God. And it says in verse 50, So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they turned and ran. I know this story. Many of you know that story very well. I feel like I need to, I'm going to look more into the details of it. There's a lot more going on here, but I wanted to just tell, remind you of the gist of what happened here. There was a, a champion that could not be defeated, or he would not be faced by anybody, and David takes him down with only a stone. I'm sitting with the Lord, meditating, praying. I was going over another Sunday morning sermon, and I get, you know, there's all kinds of emotions that you feel. There's all kinds of thoughts, and you're also human, so you're weak and you're tired as well, Right? And, you know, some of those things going through your mind are fear and doubt. Same way as if that you would feel and that you do feel the moments that the Lord asks you to speak to someone. We are all the same. I was feeling some of these emotions. The Lord said to me, clear as day, be one of those things now I'll never forget. He said, do you really think it was the stone that killed Goliath? Let me say that again. Do you really think it was the stone that killed Goliath? I want to preach from that today. The Bible says that a stone hurled by David's sling hit Goliath in the forehead and caused him to fall face down. And then he walked over to his carcass and cut off his head. But the story starts actually a chapter earlier. I want you to look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Verse, we'll start with verse 1 as well. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul, and I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem and find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. It said that God selected. God had selected. God selected. All right? I want you to get some points here. 
verse 3. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you. God's, God's in control. A prophet, uh, a pastor, uh, men of God, we don't really pick and choose. You just say yes to what God has already begun. It says in verse 5, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. And in verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. So God sends Samuel to go and get him a man. I found, he said, I found a man that's after my own heart. Found someone after my own heart. And so Samuel goes, but Samuel, as much as, as amazing as his, as his gift was and as clear as he saw things and, his, and the amazing relationship that he had with the Lord and even being called as a young boy, he heard the voice of God as a boy, right? Remember? And he thought that it was Eli and came in and it was God speaking to him and he had been a prophet his whole life, but he was still a man in there. He's still a man inside of that prophet's shell, right? Or whatever you want to call it. Whatever's going on between the Spirit of God and this body here, right? But there's still a man in there as well. And so he says that he looked and he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. And all of us preachers, we all have common threads that we say it somehow makes its way into all of our sermons. And this is one of those things that comes into mind a lot is that we need to see differently. I want you to say this out loud. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. It says, this is the Lord speaking to us. He's speaking to Samuel and he's speaking to you here today too. That people judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so he goes through the sons and one by one they come. And the Lord's saying, that's not him, that's not him, that's not him. And finally, do you have any more sons? I'm out of sons and the Lord sent me here to anoint somebody. Oh, yeah, we have one more boy. He was so young that we just, I didn't even think to call him. He's out tending the sheep. Well, go get him. And it says in verse 12 that Jesse sent for him, and he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And it says, and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. I want you to look in Luke 
verse, chapter 3, verse 21, Jesus was being baptized, and it said that as he was praying, the heavens opened in verse 22, the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, you bring me great joy, or you're my beloved son, I'm in you, I'm well pleased. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus has this encounter with the Holy Spirit, just as David has this encounter with the Spirit of God, and it says, remember we just looked at this recently, in chapter 4 verse 1, it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit. John chapter 3 verse 34, it says that he, that God gives him the Spirit without limits. And in Luke, back into Luke 4, verse 14, it says that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And it says in verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, right? The New King James says to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and liberty to those who are oppressed. Jesus has this encounter as David has an encounter with the Spirit of God, and then is this anointing, it sends him, it leads him, and there's something that is going to then come out of him. He's been anointed not just to be anointed, but to do something by the Spirit of God out of him. Something has happened inside of him to get something out of him. And it says to us, now I want you to hear this. In John chapter 14, verse 21 I'm sorry, verse 15, if you love me, obey my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, right? The helper, the Holy Spirit who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him, listen, because he lives with you now because he was with Jesus and the disciples, he was with them and helping them, and later will be in you. Verse 18, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you, and soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me since I live. You will also live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me because they love me and my Father will love them. And listen what it says, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. First John chapter four, and I'm just going fast because I want to get some things established and I want to preach from this. Verse 13, and it says, so Jesus was telling them when the Holy Spirit comes, David has an encounter with the Spirit, Jesus has an encounter with the Spirit, and he tells his disciples, telling us, there's an encounter with the Spirit of God. This is key. So now post-Christ's um, death and resurrection, we come into 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, and it says, and God has given us his 
spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Now, I went through all of that because I want to tell you what God wants to tell you. That God has come and anointed you. Each and every one. When you say yes to Christ, when you have surrendered to him, he already, just like Samuel was told by God, go and find me so-and-so. You, God has been pursuing you. And some of our journeys are long and twisty <laughs> and ups and downs. But when God came and found you, he, and you said yes, God was already doing something that was beyond you. You need to know that now. Know that when you say yes, that it was God before you said yes. And I love that we get to say yes to him. But God was already doing something. And Jesus, like Samuel, was given a commission to go and anoint, to go and find this people. I've got a job for you to do for the people. You're going to pay the price and you're going to anoint some people for me. And when we come into Christ, we are coming into the same anointing, the same place that David had from God. David was one man among men. Old Testament, this was a very odd thing. The Spirit of God only came upon a few. It only came upon, um, uh, there's a, just a couple examples. You have Gideon and Samuel, uh, I'm sorry, Gideon and Samson and Samuel. But he came upon them for a purpose and for a moment. Samuel was just a moment. Spirit of the Lord came upon him again. I mean, uh, Samson, wow, one more time. Said it, but let me say it a little bit clearer. The Spirit of God leaves Samson because Samson abandons God and he prays and says, Lord, one more time, the Spirit of God comes back on him and he does something beyond him, right? Right, you know the story. So the Spirit of God coming upon you in the Old Testament, pre-Christ blood, pre-breaking things open, this was a special account. Post-Christ, you are anointed when you say yes to Jesus, period. Now, does that mean that you, and this is where I want to head, does that mean that you are made to do something with the anointing that he's given you? And the answer to that question is no. Each and every person, just as Samuel was sent to find you before you ever did anything, Jesus was sent to find you before you ever did a thing for him. He paid the price just for you before you ever did anything. Before you said the yes, and then before you did anything out of that yes, he came and found you just as he found David and, and anointed you when you said, okay, yes, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord at that moment comes upon you. Now, at that time, David went back to being a shepherd. We don't know the gap of time from chapter 16 to 17, but we know it's relatively close, just based on some other things in their, uh, the other ages. It's really hard to tell, but probably somewhere around 16 still. 
probably wasn't too much time, but we don't know exactly because the Bible doesn't tell us that he could have been 16, 17, but he was still this same youth. But God had anointed him, and he's just being a shepherd. When God comes and gets and has an encounter with you, right? When God came and he, he saved you, at that point, some people do, but most likely you didn't quit your job unless you were a hooker. Then you probably quit your job a lot quicker, right? A mobster. <laughs> then you really can't stay in your job. But you probably went back to the, your life. And this is what, and this is completely normal that you did that because God, right where you're at, he is not surprised by your choices so far. He's not surprised by the career you're in. He's not surprised by the fact that you went to college, didn't go to college, could have done this, could have done that. God is not surprised. We're looking, we look, because we look with our eyes and we think, man, I made a real mess of things. Or we think, man, things are great. Who's heard the stories about guys that were doctors, God calls them, and then over a time, they actually do leave that career. What was a great career? God's not surprised, and he's not, he won't, you don't just leave. You get saved, and God's got a journey. He's got a plan. Is it making sense? There's a process of time, and, but what happens is, is in our hearts, we want to jump right away. As soon as God touches us, right, as soon as we hear from him, we just want to run and we want to do and we want to be. And I love David's story because it's so much more accurate to the real thing that happens in a believer's life. God comes, he does something, he anoints you, and then you just go back to what you've been doing and you do it well. You stay diligent, you stay uh, he, he, we know that David was close to the Lord because we can hear it out of his Psalms and then we're going to hear it right now in, back into 1 Samuel 17, what comes out of his heart, that this guy was loved God, staying a shepherd. And he comes back into chapter 17 now. As I've laid the groundwork, I want you to picture yourself. The reason I establish all of that is because sometimes we look and we're like, well, David's special. He was picked by God. He was the king. He was the leader. He was the ruler. And actually, Christianity sometimes takes that theology into the church, into post-Christ church, and makes uh, pastors or certain positions in the church, David's, as if the rest of you are just normal, but he's anointed. And I really wanted to establish today is that every single person here, right where you're at, you're just a shepherd. You're just a shepherd which was just a little thing, was just a small thing, just doing just reg a regular low job, just a whatever. You just right where you're at, but every single person that says yes to Christ has been commissioned, has, been, has a call put inside of them that God, in a process of time, right? if you know David's story, it took some time, it took some struggles, took some trials, in his way, in his timing, will bring that out of you. What he's looking for you in the meantime is just to be after him, a heart after him, and that's why he already picked you. This is a weird thing to think about, that God picked you before you picked him because he knew your heart before you knew your heart. <laughs> but he's God. But you just keep loving him. But this is the cool story here. 
each and every one of us are going to be put into a place where the world is just going about. There is a Goliath right now. There are Goliaths, plural. That's a weird word to say, plural. Goliaths. Standing and taunting this world and ruling the things of this world, ruling in this valley, ruling in New York City. I don't want you to think Christians against Christians. I want you to picture the world and believers. And that's very specific for me. And he's taunting. The spirits are taunting and they're saying, God's not going to do anything. Where is God? He's being pushed out, pushed out. And it says that he did this for 40 days until finally, not because David was special, but because of this thing that happened between God and man, because of God, because of him, because of his choice, something happened, and the Bible calls it in the Greek, koinonia. You ever heard this word? It says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7, he was talking to the Corinthian church. Paul is encouraging them, and he says, You have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says that he will keep you strong to the end. Or if you are reading in more traditional texts, New King James, something like that, it would say that these gifts, inferring into verse 8, these things are going to help you to stay strong. God's given you what you need to stay strong to the end, so you'll be free from, free from blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. In verse 9, God will do this, for He is faithful to do what He says and has invited you into partnership with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, this word partnership in more traditional text is translated fellowship. And this comes from this word koinonia, which means, the word means partnership, participation, communion, distribution, and fellowship. It says that we entered into a partnership with Jesus Christ. A partnership. I love that. God and his power, this is what anointing is. You don't have power. <laughs> You don't have wisdom because God says that the most wisdom that you could possibly imagine and, and the wisest of the wisest, if there was a, if it could even be determined this way, I think scripture says it because God doesn't know how to describe something we can't get, but he said it will be comparable to my foolishness. God doesn't have foolishness though anyway, but he had to describe it. How can, I, how can he describe how wise he is? You don't have strength. That's why Paul's like, man, the Lord just drove us to the point where all of our human strength was done so that we had to rely on Christ. You don't have anything. You are a human body. <laughs> 
God is the power, the wisdom, the strength, and all of that. Now, this is a good thing to, to really get as a believer because this is what it does. The Bible says that pride comes before the fall. The Bible also infers, we don't know exactly, but it looks like through our Bible that this was Satan's sin. It looks like that pride came into Satan's heart, and that's actually what pushed him out of the kingdom of God. When you come to terms, when you realize that everything you have, that the anointing in you has nothing to do with you, there's no room for pride. This is a good place to be in as a Christian. And God can do that with a heart that's after his own heart. Well, that's not coincidental because a heart that's after his own heart, David, who Jesus came after, was modeling pre-Christ, Christ's heart, which was what? I came not to be served, Jesus said, but to serve. Jesus said the greatest love that you could possibly do, what's the greatest love, but me and you when we lay our lives down for one another. That's the heart of God. The heart of God was proven when God sent his son to die for us, even though he didn't have to. And, and in, in every way, we deserve to die. He didn't, but did it for us. So a heart after God is, is one that just says it's complete and total abandonment of yourself and of your position and your place and all of those things and completely open to God's will. And when that heart lines up with God, and that's basically what this is. When we drop to our knees and we spread our hands and we say, Lord, I'm a sinner. All repentance is, is that we take all of this and we just say, Lord, use me, do something with my life. At that moment, the reason that that's salvation, the reason that that moment it's salvation, when it's real, right, is because it's not you. You have emptied you and Christ is coming in. Now that means, and this is what David got, it's what we need to get, it's what God wants you to get today. If you understand that it's not your strength, then why would you ever worry about having enough of it? If you realize that it's not your wisdom, but God's, then why would you worry about not having enough wisdom to decipher a situation? We only worry, we only fear, we only stand and let the enemy taunt day after day for 40 days when we haven't yet realized that it's not you. It's not you. It's God. Because even though the Bible tells us that the stone came out of David's sling and David picked the stone out of the stream, I'm picturing, I'm sorry, he doesn't say a stream, but he picked a smooth stone. That's where you find him. I'm sorry, my mind is poetic license there. God, man, the Lord showed me, he's like, I saw that stone. When the Lord spoke this to me, I saw the stone flying and, and it's you and God in a partnership. It's you opening your mouth and God speaking. It's you letting, finding the stone, but God's anointed it. It's you releasing the sling, but God supercharged that stone. In a, I mean, Dave, let's, let's, David might have been a really good shot. 
He may have been. And actually, I looked it up. I'm like, how powerful is that sling? I wanted to know. And people have actually, you can look it up on YouTube. They've actually reproduced it. It's a very simple thing. His sling was incredibly simple. And um, they actually have found that his sling, this little piece of like leather about this big, that's it, a little tiny pocket. If you know firearms, some people here know firearms, the most, one of the most powerful guns that you can carry physically, if you wanna do a concealed carry or on your hip before you're gonna hurt your hand is a 45 ACP. You get more powerful into things like the 44 Magnum, which you're only gonna use for target hunting or bear hunting. And they actually took and put David Sling up to the most powerful pistols of today and found that the stopping power of a stone from this sling is actually more powerful than the 45 ACP that you could carry today in modern terms and is as powerful as a 44 Magnum. 44 Magnum, you got a hold with two hands. So let's just leave it at that. And maybe you should load only one your first time so that when the recoil puts the gun back in your face, you don't have another bullet in the chamber. I thought that was incredibly interesting that little David and his little sling actually had a secret weapon in his hand. And it was so underestimated, right? What's the Bible tell us? The Bible says in chapter 17 that David is just a shepherd boy, but his father, Jesse, says, I want you to go down there to your brothers, your brother, including Eliab, who looked like he was, he was it. He looked like he had it all together. He looked like he would be, he would be the champion to, the, to our perception. Even to Samuel, called by God, looked like it. And he's down there. Well, for 40 days, Eliab hasn't stepped up to the plate and taken Goliath down. He says, David, I want you to go down there. I want you to bring some food to your brothers and tell me what's going on down there at the battle. David gets down there, and he, and he hears that this guy, Goliath, is there. And he says, basically, why has nobody done something about this yet? How come nobody's, let, nobody's stopping this guy? Why is he allowed to defy God like this? Well, the word gets to Saul. So he brings him before him, and David says, don't worry about this guy. I got it. I can do this. Saul looks at him and says, are you crazy? You're just a boy. And even David's own brother, speaking of which, the name that they use is Eliab says to David, why don't you go back to those few sheep? Isn't that interesting? It's very interesting. Now, I'm not saying this to pit Christians against Christians. Pastors could do that, and which is craziness to me. I want you to picture it as the world. The world's you know, going to taunt you, even those that have not gotten it yet. If you have, this is post-Christ, if you have the anointing of God, you're a believer of God. If you don't have the anointing of God, you're not a believer. So when we take an Old Testament story, we got to translate it through the blood of Christ. You have to do that properly as a Christian. So when we're looking at this, we're looking at someone not anointed, which means not called and anointed by God, and you a believer, and you're, even your own family around you is not going to understand what's happening. 
they don't, they're going to look at you and you're going to look at you too. You're going to, sometimes you're going to look at you like they're looking at you and say, who am I? I'm just a boy. They're saying you're just a boy. Just go back to your life. You've got nothing to give. And that's actually awesome. That's awesome. Saul says, there's no way you could do this. And I think that's such key because actually Saul spoke the truth. Saul actually prophesied the truth. There's no way you can do this. It's not you, it was God. And let's actually, let me pick up the story there as we close the, this sermon. Let's, let's pull it back into the scripture. And I've just prefaced a story here. And let's just listen to David's words. It says that David said, David persisted in verse 34 of chapter 17. David says, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When you go to war, <laughs> and there is uh, Osama bin Laden, and here's some Navy SEALs over here, and they're like, man, this is going to be one of those missions we don't want to do. And comes down out of the, a shepherd boy comes down out of the mountains and be like, I've been taking care of my sheep, don't worry about it. What do you think that sounds like? Doesn't sound too impressive, does it? Doesn't sound like anything. Like, go back to your life. Go back. And he says, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears. And I love that he says this. And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Something in you, you can't just have courage. I know that, I don't know exactly how it says it, but something like courage gets you killed. You can't just have courage. Courage is not enough. You're watching the movie and you watch the courageous guy and you're always like, he's the first one who's going to die. I mean, and he's dying for his brothers, there's, there's, that's commendable, but it's not enough just to have courage to want to do something. Because what you need to understand is it's something you can't do. As a Christian, when we, when we picture, when we think about having courage as Christians, we think about us building our strength. And we think about getting everything right, getting everything perfect, whether it's speaking, you know, I could focus on what needs to be all this way and that way and... And then we think about the church, is the temperature right or the chairs right? And all these, we get trying to focus on all these things. And you have to realize that it's not any of that, except the fact it's only, it's only that God's taking a shell, a human being, a church, a group of people, and his spirit. And then there's a partnership, there's a koinonia between the two, and it's all him. It's not you being diligent and his strength, it's that you're diligent with his strength. 
It's not 50-50. That's why it's 100% of him and you just being willing to do it. That's it. And David realizes that. And this is what I'm, let me just keep going so I don't keep you guys here all day. So he says, out of his mouth, he says, I've done it and I'll do it to this Philistine. Not because he feels like he's, he's got it, but he says because, he said because he's defied the living God. See, something's coming out of him. He, something is rising up in him to stand for God. And it says in verse 37 that the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. He realized that he just went on and said what he did. He's like, man, when a lion, when a bear came, I clubbed it. But what David realized is, is that, and, and this is what we need to realize as Christians, you need to realize what he realized, that even when it seems like you used your strength to do something, it still was not you. I've said it, been saying it for weeks, I'm going to say it again. The air that you consumed to do something in what you think is your strength and pride was given to you by God. So God says, fine, you do it in your strength. I'm going to freeze oxygen for a few minutes. I think the record is eight minutes. So I'm going to hold back for 10. Let's see if you can beat the record. And now you use your strength. You need to realize that even when you feel, it seems like it's you, it's not. It's not you. And this is what David realized. He said, God delivered me. So, so Saul says, the Lord be with you. And then there's so many sermons, we don't have time to get into it. Saul tries to put on his armor. And David's like, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. This is, this is not, I just need to do what, I need to be who God's called me to be. And it was all, what God is setting up here is, what God is dictating is, is that, he, well, that God needs to show David and God wants to show Saul and God wants to show the world. He wants to show you and he wants to show the believers around you and the world that it's not you. So he says, I'm not gonna take any armor, which is crazy. Even, even Goliath has an armor bearer that walks ahead of him. We read it. He's covered in armor from head to toe. The Bible doesn't put details in there by accident. Goliath was covered in armor from head to toe. David says, I can't, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not comfortable in this armor. I'm not going to rely on man's strength. It may work for you. I'm going to just trust in what I know in God. God's helped me before. He's going to help me again. And he comes down and he says to Goliath, right? He, verse 40, we've already read. And in 41, Goliath comes walking out and he's sneering at him. And, he's, and he says, am I a dog? Verse 43. And he's like, come over here in verse 44 and I'm going to feed you to the birds. And in verse 45, David replied to the Philistine. I want you to just see these words. You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. You know, this is the devil has lined himself up against God. He's lined himself up against you. He's lined himself up against the church, and he's taunting you, and he certainly looks overwhelming. The enemy looks overwhelming. Your situation looks overwhelming. But this is what David realized and what you need to realize that none of those things matter. He's like, you have all these things, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. 
You come with all these things against me, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And today, listen what it says. David didn't say, I will conquer you. Look what it says. Whose sling was it that, ki that kills Goliath? David's. Who picked out the stone? But what did David say? Today, the Lord will conquer you. The only reason, and again, I did the research, is a very powerful weapon that was totally underestimated. That's another sermon by the enemy. He's underestimating you with your little thing inside you, this little light of mine. He's underestimated that little light inside of you. It's very powerful. But the only reason that it has any power is because David's heart Knew, and in his heart and out of his mouth, the abundance of the heart is speaking. He knew that it was the Lord who anointed him. It was the Lord who was with him through every single little thing just in his everyday life. And that's why it's important when you go back to your life, you get saved, you say yes to Christ, and now you're just in life. It's important to realize that it's been him all along through protecting you, that you're just alive. The fact that you're alive today and you go, but God, I've been through this, I've been through that. And how can this possibly have been any part of your plan? And but the fact that you're still breathing oxygen in your lungs means that God is still with you and was with you. He gave you oxygen to do even wrong things. God knows where you're at. And then when you turn and you start using that towards him, that's when Goliaths start coming down. That's when the struggles, that's when the things, it doesn't mean it will be easy. There is not one verse that says that David wasn't afraid. There's not one, ver there's no verses that tell us whether he was afraid or wasn't. All he knew was that God is going to do something here. I trust in God and I will give the dead bodies of your men. I'm going to kill you and then we're going to kill your men and we're going to feed them to the, the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. Is it possible that you have situations in your life? Is it possible that you get put into a place where it's beyond your strength, right? So that God can show himself strong to you, to the people around you, including your brother, including the family around you that has mocked you and made fun of you and said, go back. You just go just, what do you, who do you think you are? to all of the, the different elements here so that God could show that he is strong. And he, when he koinonias with a human being, something supernatural begins to happen and Goliath falls. Let's stand. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much and that you have spoken to us today, Lord, reminding us that you want to fight for us, that David remembered what you said all the way back to the people of Israel, that they forgot that the, that the Lord fights for you. And meanwhile, Lord, even when the people around us, Lord, have forgotten that God is God and that he fights for you, Lord, we're choosing to remember today who you are, and Lord, empty us even more. Lord, we're getting it. I pray, Lord, that our minds would understand what they can't. 
Lord, that we need to be emptied even more and hearts after you because it's all you. Lord, you don't need any of us in us. You just want to put more of you in us so that you can get it out of us. We pray, Lord, you help us do that in Jesus' name. Amen.